1: From famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails, garner great pet tips, and have a doggone fur flying fun time. So get ready for the paws and applause as we unleash your O-Behave host, America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore.
2: Welcome to the O-Behave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Many of us love receiving flowers as gifts to mark special occasions. And lilies rank high in popularity. And many of us enjoy maybe adding slices of avocado to our turkey sandwiches or chewing sugar-free gum or letting that piece of gourmet mm, dark chocolate melt in our mouths. But each of these can be downright deadly to our dogs. Pets suffering from accidental poisoning is, sadly, growing in numbers. But on our show today is a man who is leading a grassroots campaign to protect our pets. I am honored to welcome to the show the very talented emergency room veterinarian who has saved countless lives of dogs, cats, and other pets. Please join me in giving pause and applause to Dr. Mike Lasasso. Hey, welcome to the show, Dr. Mike.
0: Well, thank you, Artie.
2: Hey, folks, I first met Dr. Lasasso when I relocated from San Diego to Dallas last year. And he's on our show today because he's come up with a very creative and effective way to reduce the number of pets being poisoned. He's going to share those strategies on our show. But you guys know the drill. We got to sit and stay, and we'll be right back after this commercial break.
1: Time for a pause. Four furry ones actually sit and stay. OBEhave will be right back. Obehave is back with more tail wagging ways to achieve harmony in the household with your pets. Now, back to your fetching host, America's Pet educator, Arden Moore.
2: Welcome back to the Obehave Show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. Our special guest today is Dr. Mike Lasasso. He is a very, very compassionate, very talented veterinarian. He's been specializing in emergency care for the past dozen years, and he's here today to alert us about a novel way to protect pets from being accidentally poisoned. You know what? My dogs, my cats, and I are really glad you're on the show, Dr. Mike.
0: Well, thanks, Arden. It's good to be here.
2: All right, so let's just let the cat out of the bag. We've been keeping people a little bit in curiosity mode. Tell us what you have that you're doing that you think could really, really make a difference in dropping the number of pets who come into emergency clinics like yours who have been accidentally poisoned.
0: Well, Arden, it's it's no real big secret. It's it's the, the secret to prevention is education. And to this point, we've really been relying on veterinarians to educate pet owners as to what is toxic and what isn't. That requires a couple things, though. Number one, your veterinarian's got to tell you that something is toxic or you have to read it on Facebook or on the internet, and at that point, you've got to take everything with a grain of salt. My focus, as I finally realized after years of dealing with this problem, is that we have education in the wrong place. I mean, really, the best person to tell you that the lily arrangement that you bought could potentially kill your cat is the guy you buy the lily from. It's at the point of sale because. You're not going to remember, you know, you guys, people take their pets into the veterinarian. If they take them in two or three times a year, that's probably a lot, actually. And there's not a lot of time in there for your veterinarian to discuss a long list of things that are potentially toxic. When what you're trying to do is either address an issue there or make sure that that everything is going well with your pet. You just don't have time in that 10 or 15 minute appointment to really go through all that. And even if you did, how much of that are you really going to retain? I mean, I wouldn't remember half of this stuff. Right. You know, if I was picking it up just just once a year. So that what we've come up with is is a, a labeling system for people to put a, a label on these things, either on their website if you're buying something online, like, you know, an online florist, or if you're buying a physical product, just to have a label there so that people are aware that it's potentially toxic.
2: And let's talk about it. I want you all to write this down. Dr. Michael Sasso has an amazing website that really goes into detail about this campaign. It is PreventingPetPoisoning.org, and he is leading the Preventing Pet Poisoning Initiative. So I think you hit it on the head. I love my vets. I have lots of friends who are veterinarians but i think i went i go to a florist i certainly go to a grocery store and i love chocolates and so i'm probably heading to some nice chocolate stores far more than i do taking chipper cleo and casey to see my veterinarian so what did the light bulb just come on going oh my gosh we got to do the point of sale
0: you know it it kind of did it was a couple of years ago I had a beautiful boxer dog. He was a, a neutered male, about three years old, as I recall, who came in and he had just eaten a tube of skin cream that his owner had. Oh, geez. You know? And you think, well, that's not that that big a deal. Well, this cream was five fluorouracil, which which is referred to as FU uh, for fluorouracil. And so I called. I said, well, I don't know how toxic this is. That sounds vaguely familiar. So I called the toxicologist and and I said he ate, you know, an entire tube of of this 5FU, uh, the toxicologist said, "Oh, no." And uh. and you know, that's not a very common response from these guys. They're really professional, and to get a, you know, to get that kind of a response was I was like, "What's, you know, what's going on?" And they fluorouracil is a chemotherapeutic agent. People use it for skin cancer. This is not just a lubriderm or something. This is a really serious medication, and as chemotherapy, it kills rapidly growing cells, which includes all of the cells that line your intestinal tract, and so what the toxicologist told me he says, well, that dog's going to look really good for about ten days, and then when he starts to slough the inside of his intestines, you know, he'll go downhill pretty steadily for the next four days, and probably die on the fifth oh because that's because that's what this stuff does. It's pretty well known to the toxicologist you know, as, as being really devastating. And as, and as I talked to this owner about this problem. I said, oh, she, I mean, number one, she didn't accept it. And fortunately for this dog, actually, she took him away from my facility and took him to a 24-hour hospital. And I think he was there about three weeks, but he survived. And is actually doing really well today because she recognized that it needed to be brought in and needed to be seen. But, but that's,
2: that's some also that's pretty tricky with poisons. It sounds like there are some that definitely – show a toxicity response immediately and others that sort of marinate inside the pet.
0: Oh, exactly. This is one of the longer kind of the delayed action ones. But the thing that really struck me with this was that the owner says, you know, I haven't used that in two years. If I had known it was toxic to my dog, I would have gotten rid of it. And I thought, you know, there's there's just got to be a better way for us to tell people what's toxic and what isn't. And so we have lilies, which of course, you ask veterinarians. We say, well, everybody knows that lilies are toxic to cats. Well, no, I don't think that's actually the case. Chocolate in dogs, we recognize, although it's not—it's not always very very clear to people. The darker the chocolate is, the more toxic it is. Right. And that's—and that's um—that's and, and um, that's for individual dogs. Everybody has got every dog's got a different response to chocolate. So some are really affected by it, and some aren't affected at all. Xylitol is becoming a really big one because Xylitol is a, is a sweetener used for people and it's really, really nice and, and sweet. And for people, it doesn't cause insulin to be released. Okay. So we taste it and it's really sweet and it doesn't do anything to our pancreas. And so we get all that effect. And so especially if you're diabetic, it's a great thing. And it's found in a lot of sugar-free products. Unfortunately for dogs, a dog pancreas isn't that smart. And when it sees this huge surge of sweetness, it interprets that as being sugar. So it releases all this insulin to control your sugar levels. But if you get this big surge of insulin and you don't have elevated sugar, now you're going to become hypoglycemic and, and have really low blood sugar problems and potentially a crisis, seizures, Um, or even death, and xylitol is becoming really ubiquitous. I mean, it's in sugar-free peanut butter now, which people use... I mean, to give medications to pets, it's in toothpaste and hard candies and all kinds of of other things. And and sugar-free gum is a big one. The other frustration for us as emergency docs is that I don't know how much xylitol there is in a given piece of gum. The companies that make gum don't tell us how much xylitol is in each piece. They think that that's proprietary information and they don't release it. So if you tell me your Great Dane ate three pieces of Trident sugar-free gum, well, I have no idea if that's a toxic dose or not. Oh, wow. So we treat as if they've been exposed. I mean, if it was a Chihuahua, it's almost certainly a toxic dose, you know. So it's hard for us to tell. So if people knew that this stuff was potentially toxic, either they wouldn't buy it, they'd buy something else. We're not trying to stop you from buying lilies. We're just trying to stop you from buying lilies for people that own cats. Choose something else. I don't want you to not buy flowers. It's, it's not driving business away. In fact, what we'd like to do through the initiative is to increase the business for responsible retailers. We want you to go visit whatever retailer is helping to educate the public. That's the whole point of the site is to drive business to these companies because that's the way we're going to get companies to change their labeling. You know, we'd like to think that that everybody does things, does the right thing for the right reason, but that's right. not really the way corporate America works.
2: Yeah, but if I can interject, you do on your website, which I really like, and I want you guys to, you know, it takes a village, guys. Go to Dr. Michael Sasso's website, preventingpetpoisoning.org, and there's all these tabs, and there's one specifically for retailers, and you do have some icons of dogs and cats, like they're, it's in red, their heads, their headshots in a triangle and you can make sure that this is safe or not safe. So you're trying to even develop for retailers some sort of a logo that the public will start learning to identify with that this is safe and this is not safe, right? For our pets.
0: That's exactly right. Trying to make it easy for companies to say, you know what, let's put this logo on here so that as you look at that, even if It's something that you normally buy and you're going to, even if it's a medication that you need. And the medication is labeled. because human medications are one of the biggest problems that we see in emergency veterinary medicine is dogs got into the blood pressure medication. They get into the the skin cancer cream. They get into all kinds of things, Adderall. People take meds, people drop meds, dogs get into it, dogs get into the cabinet if these things are kept underneath the sink. So we would love to get, I mean, eventually getting big pharma to change would be, would be great. The problem with doing that is that we need really hundreds of thousands of people on the site to join so that we've got the, the number strength to have an incentive for these companies to, uh, to do the right thing.
2: So how, how can one be a member? Walk us through that step.
0: Well, membership is really pretty simple. There is a tab on the, on the website to join. Uh, membership is free. There is a paid membership option if you'd like to make your voice a little louder. You know, having paid members shows the retailers that folks are serious. You know, they're they're putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. And it may be able to, may help us make a better connection with retailers. But, you know, if we can get a few hundred thousand people that are three members, that'd be great because it gives us that kind of influence. I can go to florists, even national florists. And say, look, I've got 300,000 rabid pet owners that are willing to do business with you (laughs) over your competition because you're doing the right thing. You're not going to lose money. You might not sell quite as many Lily arrangements, but you're going to sell a whole lot other arrangements. You know, mushroom be, mushroom. Yeah.
2: And, and and just to help people out, if somebody wants to give someone flowers for a special occasion and they have a cat or a dog in their in that person's home, what are a couple of nice fl- flowers that you think uh, we could steer them towards that would definitely be safe for our dog or cat?
0: Well, you know, the funny thing about flowers and, and plants that you generally get in a floral shop is that lilies are really the only one that's toxic. There are some other plants that are in your in your yardscape that, that are toxic potentially to dogs. I mean, oleander, taxus, which is you, um, right. uh, Y-E-W, is, is toxic in dogs. I mean, hyacinth bulbs and tulip bulbs. You don't want dogs eating those things. Personally, I've never seen that in practice. I, I don't think they're all that appetizing and people don't keep them out where the dog can get to them. But those things are important. For you to know that if they do get into it, we need to take some action. I mean, that's the other part is just knowing what's a big deal and what isn't. It's one thing to chew up the mulch. It's another thing to chew up the hyacinth bulbs. But in terms of, in terms of a florist, lilies, the true lilies, Easter lilies and, uh, and day lilies, the Japanese show lilies, there are several plants in that true lily family. Those are really, really toxic. All parts of that plant are really toxic, specifically to cats. We aren't quite sure what the toxic principle is or why it happens, but eating the leaves or the petals is enough. Drinking the water out of the vase, even getting that pollen. You know, that that brown pollen gets on everything. And if a cat walks through it or gets some on their fur while they're grooming, they'll pick it up. And I've I've had cases of that in my own practice. Nobody associates the vomiting that starts after that with with the lily, you know, and they think, well, he's eating something he wasn't supposed to, or it's a hairball. Oh, and, the, yes. and the reality is, is that the, the kidneys are failing and, you know, you've only got a, a couple of days and we can correct this if we get to them early enough and we put them on fluids and we keep the kidney really well. Hydrated and kind of circulated. We want to. The old saying in in medicine is the solution to pollution is dilution. So if we can, <laughs> yeah, there if we can dilute out that toxin with a large amount of of fluids, then we potentially can rehabilitate that kidney and and life goes on as normal. So lily ingestion doesn't have to be fatal in cats if we get to them right away. Again, the key is you've got to know that that lily was toxic to your cat. And remembering that, you saw that on your veterinarian's Facebook page three years ago, is probably not a good way to rely on that. Much better to have a sticker on the bouquet itself.
2: That sounds great. Hey, folks, we are talking to Dr. Mike Lasasso. He is an emergency veterinarian, and he's on a campaign to save your pets, your dogs and cats from being accidentally poisoned. And we need to have you go to Preventing petpoisoning.org there's lots of details on how you can be part of this initiative we're going to learn more about dr mike after we take this quick commercial break so sit and stay we'll be right back
1: time for a walk on the red carpet of course all behave will be back in a flash right after these messages
0: Looking for the best advice on pet health, safety, and travel? Connect with The Pet Lady. Dana Humphrey, also known as The Pet Lady, will surely be in a city near you real soon. She will be spreading the good news for pets and pet lovers from tips on dog and cat care, pet industry trends, and the best events for you and your four-legged family members. Need a great gift idea or insights on the hottest pet gadgets? Simply follow The Pet Lady on Twitter at PetLadyWorld. You can also learn more
1: at The Pet Lady at thepetlady.net. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet <laughs> Hi, this is Steve Wozniak, and I would love to invite you to listen to the O show by Arden Moore on Pet Life Radio. We're back from the lot. Just checked the paper and we had a record showing at the box. The letterbox, that is. Now back to O Behave. Here's Arden.
2: Welcome back to the O Behave show on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Arden Moore. I am honored that we have Dr. Mike Lasasso in the house. Hey, Mike, we haven't really had a chance to get a little 411 on you. So you've been a veterinarian since 93. Tell us a little bit what motivated you to get into the field of veterinary medicine.
0: Well, that's. At my age, that's kind of a hard thing to remember. I oh,
2: stop a, it, Grandpa. I had a... <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I made that decision when I was seven. The neighbors had had a, about 15 horses back when I lived in Reno, Nevada, uh, so many years ago. And, you know, I made the decision that decision that veterinary medicine was where I was going, and I never even considered doing anything else. We moved to, to Texas almost 40 years ago, and so A&M was, was the school I was going to because it was the only one that had a veterinary school. So it was... Kind of what I was going to do, and of course, most now
2: are you people- that same kind of guy that just eats the same food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Or is this just no, kind of a single-minded focus? It sounds it, it like it was.
0: I was just focused. I already made the decisions to what I was doing, and that's. The, the way it was going to be. Now, of course, like so many other budding veterinarians, I had this idea that I was going to be Doctor Doolittle. I was going to be a <laughs> I was going to be a zoo vet. Oh wow! Which is, which is awesome. And you know, folks, you got to take your hats off to those guys. They have to know everything about everything. I know about dogs and cats. They've got to know everything from alligators to zebras. And just knowing how to handle each one of those species is A full-time job but they've got to know the ins and outs of reptile medicine and avian medicine and as well as mammals and exotic hoofstock and and all those other things and I tell you most (laughs) zoos are owned by cities and cities don't have big budgets so these guys are, are doing everything for everybody and getting paid very little.
2: Wow. Um, sounded, compared, I never com- thought of it that way. Compared You're to the right.
0: dog and cat guys. So I've got a huge respect for them. That didn't turn out to be the way I went, obviously. I, I own my own practice and, and practiced on, on dogs and cats and, and saw as many birds as I could. Honestly, if I could have a snake practice, that's what I'd be doing. They're really quiet and you know, they don't have a lot of hair. So,
2: uh, <laughs> Well, neither do you, but well, you look yeah, pretty as, good, as, mister. As
0: it turns out. But I found myself really enjoying the... Uh, Kind of felt a call to emergency medicine about 12 years ago, and I have done nothing but emergency work since then. The
2: I, Yeah, and let's talk about that. Folks, I had the uh, privilege of being able to shadow Dr. Mike for a couple of ER nights at his ER hospital in Texas, and uh, many of you know that I do have Pet First Aid for you. It's a Pet First Aid program that I do work closely with veterinarians like Dr. Mike because I'm not a veterinarian, but Like Dr. Mike knows, for all of us that are fortunate enough to have a pet, we need to know what to do in a pet emergency and what not to do to stabilize and mobilize and get that dog or cat to the veterinarian. You are very calm under pressure, Dr. Mike. When I was there a couple nights, there was a Jack Russell getting bit by a copperhead, a couple of cases of leptospirosis. A misgender-identified poor cat that the poor owner thought was a boy and it was a girl. There were animals that did not survive and animals that did. Tell us what draws you to emergency medicine.
0: Well, it's I would say it's the pace, it's, but that's really not it for me. I mean, emergency medicine moves obviously much faster. We have a, a much more dramatic Set of, of clients and patients than you see in a regular day practice. And, and day practice is absolutely vital. I wouldn't never want to take away from those guys. Wellness for yourself or for your pets is really vitally important. Keeping things vaccinated. I see lots of Parvo dogs that mm-hmm. could, that problem in many of our cases could have been prevented by proper vaccination. Some of these guys are only eight weeks old and and as such, they're only really old enough to have received one vaccine. And one vaccine, you know, that first vaccine does nothing except get you ready for the second. It doesn't right. give you any kind of an immunity. So we see those. But the, the idea of taking something that is is sick or, in many cases, broken, and fixing that and, and helping people in this time of crisis is just kind of my niche. It's, it's where I fall. We do have to euthanize a much larger percentage of our patients, unfortunately, than day practice does. A lot of people see that as a great source of sadness, and, f- and for owners, it, it certainly is. And for a lot of veterinary staff and for a lot of veterinarians, it's really crippling over time to see that much patient mortality but i look at that as a as a gift i mean we we can let these guys go with some grace and not have to torture them with with weeks of pain you know so it's important to be done and to be done right to be done correctly so i mean i actually wrote a book on on that subject kind of guiding through people a, a few years ago and the reason that i wrote i wrote the book was to get people thinking about what your options are when it comes to end-of-life decisions, we know what's going to happen. Our pets live much shorter lives than we do. So, if you start thinking about what the options are going to be like at the end, if you think about that a few years in advance, well, then when it comes time, you aren't necessarily coming to me at three o'clock in the morning in an emergency hospital where nobody wants to be. It's there. We're unfamiliar people and we do our best. We're, We're nice and we do what needs to be done. But if you had the choice... Would you have had somebody come to the house? Would you have done something else? And it was important to me to offer people, you know, just that guidance. Knowing that you have choices is important because you can't make the choice if you don't know you have choices.
2: So, Dr. Mike, what's the name of the book?
0: The name of the book is Planning Your Pet's Final Peace. A Veterinarian Guides You Through the Euthanasia Process. It is available on Amazon, but I do also have it listed separately on another website that I have uh, called books.com. ShamrockDirectMedia.com as a free download. I'm not interested in making money off of that. I just simply want to help people get through that process because I know how, how emotionally devastating it is. But with a little prior planning, it really can be made much easier.
2: Well put, and I thank you for doing that. Well, when I was there shadowing you for the radio show and, and also to help learn more for Pet First Aid program, there was a, an older dog who was suffering from chronic congestive heart failure, and I believe also it was heart failure and was it something with the lungs? It was two conditions you were saying that unfortunately you try to remedy one, it hammers the other, but you well, were so kind to... With the goodbye to Kirby.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, we do see a lot of that, especially in, in older patients. We see congestive heart failure, which where you have a lot of water in the lungs and you have pulmonary edema and they're trying very desperately to breathe. So they really shouldn't be receiving any kind of fluids. And at the same time, those guys are in kidney failure. And kidney failure is treated with very large volumes of fluids to try to dilute things out, as kind of like we talked with the the lilies earlier. And that's where the real art of medicine comes in, trying to juggle those two problems and finesse that. And sometimes that works well and, and sometimes it doesn't.
2: The other talent that Dr. Mike has, folks, is he will keep you in stitches. The man is not only great at suturing, But it's because of your needlepoint extraordinary talents. And I wanted, if you didn't mind sharing, hopefully your father won't listen, but you have something planned, right?
0: Oh, I do. I'm actually working on a... I do do cross-stitch as as a hobby because it keeps my fingers and my my eyes kind of focused, especially now that I've got those readers. Anyway... um, (laughs) You know, I've got a, I have got only do photos now, so I've got a, a photo of my father's 13 grandchildren that I'm working on.
2: And how many stitches are you trying to average a day to meet your deadline for your father?
0: If I can get it done by the middle of next summer, it's going to take me about 500 stitches a day.
2: Wow. And you know what, folks? Instead of giving his dad some lilies, he's giving him a gift from the heart. I mean, seriously, I can't wait. When you get that done, I want to see it, okay?
0: Oh, absolutely. I'll absolutely take a photo of it.
2: All right. Well, we're getting ready to say goodbye, but I want to make sure people know what this is all about. Dr. Michael Sasso is spearheading an initiative to keep your dog and cat safe by educating retailers who have products that are toxic and dangerous to our pets and by giving them warning labels. And it's all the details are on PreventingPetPoisoning.org. What are a few parting messages or points that you'd like to share with the pet parents tuning in right now, Dr. Mike? Yeah
0: you know, I guess, the, I guess the biggest thing is, I mean, obviously, if you have cats, avoid lilies. Um, that's, that's kind of an easy one to remember. If your dogs get into something, don't wait a few days to call us don't wait a few hours. I mean, you can call an emergency hospital or phone your veterinarian right away and that they, they may know right off the top of their heads and we may not. I mean, there are, there are certain are, are human medications that are not even in my toxicology text because they're brand new. So we'll refer you to the Pet Poison Helpline or to the ASPCA's Pet Poison Center, but we'll give you a phone number to call if we don't know so that we can take immediate action. Knowledge is power.
2: It is. And I think it's good to know what's normal in your dog or cat. So if they are starting to display some symptoms that just don't seem right, Mm -hmm. what's wrong with giving a call to your veterinarian, right?
0: Exactly. Before you go searching on, on Google or call the breeder, call your veterinarian
2: all right i really you know i salute you you're going to make a difference and i want all of you please become a member of the preventing pet poisoning initiative go onto the website preventingpetpoisoning.org he's laid it out really well easy we want to keep our pets for a long time we want to keep them happy and healthy and you know what you rock dr mike
0: well i appreciate that thank you (laughs) hey
2: everybody before we go i want you to give me two minutes of your time And listen to a very powerful message from Dr. Mike Lasasso. We're going to play that right now. It's on his YouTube channel. We're going to put the link on the guest bio, but I think he says it best. Let's tune in right now.
0: Hello, my name is Mike Lasasso. I've been a veterinarian for more than 22 years and an ER doc for more than 12. In that time, I've seen an increasing number of pet poisoning cases. And I'm not alone. The ASPCA's Animal Poison Control Center fields more than 180,000 phone calls about pet poisonings every year. And they're one of two call centers. And if one in five or one in 10 cases actually gets reported, well, you can do the math, but that's two to three million cases of pet poisoning in this country every single year. That's an epidemic and we've got to do something about this. The good news is, is I think that we can. If we join together, we can fix this. I've been been struggling with this problem for a long time now, for years. And the other day I got slapped in the face by common sense. The key to prevention is education. And the key to solving this problem is shifting education onto the retailers. If we can get the folks that sell the, the flowers and the plants and the medications to change their labeling, we can make consumers and pet owners aware of the potential danger and we can save the lives of millions of dogs and cats. So please join us at www.preventingpetpoisoning.org and you can help. Now there's two things I know about trying to solve this problem. Number one, the retailers are not gonna change their labeling just because it's the right thing to do. And number two, even with my Hollywood good looks, I can't do this by myself. I need your help. Two to three million is a lot of cases. So the pets of America need big results. And that's going to take big numbers. So please join us because together we can make a difference. We can save some lives.
2: I also want to thank Mark Winner, my very, very patient producer. He is the producer of all of the shows on Pet Life Radio. He's a decent guy. And he's quietly stitching this show together as we speak. Um, we are the number one pet radio network on the planet. I think we could even be on planet Mars, too. I think we might have done something with, uh, you know, Matt Damon. Maybe we can do a sequel and be the only radio show on Mars. Hey, right, Dr. Mike, you got to dream big, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, and you're dreaming big to keep pets safe by having warning labels on common things like going to a florist, going to the grocery store. And I'm hoping that this will be start of a campaign that's really, really going to help our pets so i salute you and until next time guys for all you two three and four leggers out there O behave
1: coast to coast and around the world it's all behave with arden moore find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in rintin tinseltown from famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars you'll get great tail wagging pet tips and have a fur flying fun time All Behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.